Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Chapter 32, text 37. The title of the chapter is Entanglement and Fruitive Activities. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya We'll chant the Sanskrit word for word first Bravo Cham Bhakti, Bhakti Yogasya, Yogasya Swarupam, Swarupam Te Chatur Vidham Kalasya Chavyakta Gatir Yo Antaradhavati Jantushu Bravo Cham Bhakti Yogasya Swarupam Te Chatur Vidham Kalasya Chavyakta Gatir Yontaradhavati Jantushu Bravo Cham Bhakti Yogasya Swarupam te chatur vidham Kalasya chavyakta gatir Yontar dhavati jantushu Bravo cham bhakti yogasya Swarupam te chatur vidham Alasya Chavyakta Gate Yontardhavati Jantushu Please. Bravo Cham, 
explained. Bhakti yoga sya of devotional service. Swarupam, the identity. Te, to you. Chatu vidham, in four divisions. Kalasya, of time. Cha, also. Abhyakta gatehe, the movement of which is imperceptible. Ya, which. Antardhavati, chases. Jantushu, the living entities. Translation, please repeat. My dear mother, I have explained to you the process of devotional service and its identity in four different social divisions. I have explained to you as well how eternal time is chasing the living entities, although it is imperceptible to them. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Śrīla Prabhupāda. Purport. The process of bhakti-yoga, devotional service, is the main river flowing down towards the sea of the Absolute Truth. And all other processes mentioned are just like tributaries. Lord Kapila is summarizing the importance of the process of devotional service. Bhakti Yoga, as described before, is divided into four divisions, three in the material modes of nature and one in transcendence which is untinged by the modes of material nature. Devotional service mixed with the modes of material nature is a means for material existence, whereas devotional service without desires for fruitive result and without attempts for empirical philosophical research is pure transcendental devotional service. My dear mother, I have explained to you the process of devotional service and its identity in four different social divisions. I have explained to you as well how eternal time is chasing the living entities, although it is imperceptible to them. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pristhaya Bhutale Srimate Giraja Swami Nikiramine Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pristhaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Nikiramine Namaste Saraswati Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Pashtata Deshtarine Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gauravaktaranda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Vanchakar Patarubhyascha Kripasindu Vrayvacha Patitanam so I humbly beg the blessings of Shishirada Govinda, my Guru Maharaj, and the assembled Vaishnavas that I may be able to speak something worthwhile related to this verse. So here we have Lord Kapila concluding his instructions to his saintly mother, Devahuti, in this summary verse. And two topics are being described. One, the effect of eternal time on the living entities, the imperceptible effect of eternal time. And two, the process of devotional service. So these will be the two major topics of the discussion for today. So I sit before you, a man of 40 years, 40 years old. And age is a function of time. Whatever emotional experiences 
you know, from the pinnacle of ecstasy to the nadir of despair, whatever myriad of experiences I've had, the host of ambitions, desires, longings, dreams. When you look back at your own life, you think, what was so important at one point in time, but with the passage of time, it fades away, and all you're left with are memories. So time is like that. It's said in scripture that in material nature, time is conspicuous by its presence. In fact, everything that is relative is based on time. What is past, what is present, what is future. And in the spiritual world, time is inconspicuous by its absence. With every passing day, with the rising and the setting of sun, our time is slowly coming to an end in this body, on this planet. And without spiritual knowledge, without understanding who we are, what our relationship is with the divine, then in one sense it's all for naught. That is why it is so important to take instruction from Shastra. Especially when we have cataclysmic events, like what is going on right now, the global pandemic. It gives us pause. It makes us think about what is important. It makes us think about what are our priorities, what do we value. Over 500,000 people have been infected in the United States alone, over 1.5 million worldwide. And in the United States alone, there's over 18,000 deaths. It's causing undue suffering. People of all ages, people without predisposing medical conditions are being affected by this virus. And the effects on the economy, the effects on people's livelihoods is untold, it's unparalleled. At least right now it's unparalleled, though there may be something in the future that is even worse. So this is, this is a, the effect of the time factor. Kapil Dev explains the time factor in the chapter 30, Description of Adverse Fruitive Activities. The first verse that he mentions Bear with me. Tasya tasya jano nunam nayam vedoru vikramam kalyamano pibalino vayur eva ganavali. As a mass of clouds does not know the powerful influence of the wind, a person engaged in material consciousness, in other words, a materialist, does not know the powerful strength of the time factor by which he is being carried. So this time factor is a feature of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The position of the misguided materialist is that you know, he's trying to carve out a space to be happy in the material world. And this time factor is acting on him and upending whatever he creates for his happiness. Many, many big personalities have come and gone. Empires have risen and fallen. This is the nature of time. The materialist is attached to the body and things in relationship with it. He's attached to himself, he's attached to his wife, the children that are produced, the home, the animals or conveyances, the wealth and friends, and in such an environment, he thinks himself satisfied, all the while neglecting his prime duty, 
neglecting the duty of understanding who he is. This materialist comes under the clutches of death and great grief and pain and without consciousness. And because he has neglected his prime duty, he's taken to the court of Yamaraj. And there he suffers the result of his sinful activities. When he is done with his suffering by the gradual process of, of evolution, he then inhabits the body of a human fetus in the womb. And while in the womb, he remembers his position. He remembers Krishna and he prays fervently to be, to not forget again. But when he comes out of the womb again by the influence of Maya, he's captured. And he falls into Maya upon his birth. And so this, th this is how time works. We try to carve out a place for ourselves in the material world, or we may make arrangements to try to uh, create a better situation in the future, whether it be in this world or whether it be on another heavenly planet. We worship demigods. This is what is mentioned in the Gita. But it's all neglecting our prime duty. Sri Krishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, says in the 11th chapter, the universal form, he says, Kalosmi loka shaya krit pravridha lokan samhartum iha pravrita. He says, time I am, destroyer of the worlds, and I have come to engage all people. When Arjuna is inquiring to the universal form before him. Who are you and what is your purpose? Krishna in the form of the, in the universal form presents this explanation. Arjuna was thinking that he would not fight. He had no desire to fight on his own account. But when Krishna says that I am time and I've come to destroy all the worlds and all these soldiers before you, they're destined to die. All you have to do is become an instrument then Arjuna understood what his purpose was. In the purport to that particular verse, Srila Prabhupada states, time is destruction and all manifestations are to be vanquished by the desire of the Supreme Lord. That is the law of nature. So, what is created will be destroyed. So, it's important to understand material nature because that gives us an impetus uh, to take to Krishna consciousness more seriously. We should understand that time is limited. And in that reference, Srila Prabhupada quotes the great scholar, strategist, and military advisor, Chanakya. He says, do not waste even a second of your life a single moment which has been wasted cannot be purchased back for 10,000 gold coins. He who wastes his life for no profit becomes the greatest loser. So we should understand that time is invaluable, time is limited. While we are still in a healthy body with conscious mind, we should take to uh, the process of acquiring knowledge. Which leads me to the second uh, point of the class, devotional service. So we can consider our material condition. We are born in ignorance. When we pray to the spiritual master, we say, Om Ajnana Timirandasya, born in the darkness of ignorance. And the spiritual master is casting the light of knowledge. We are plagued by sufferings, misfortunes. We don't know what the cause of those sufferings are, whether it be sufferings of the mind, the body, or other living entities, or 
those sufferings that are coming from celestial forces, the demigods. So we're, we're plagued in this way, and if we have knowledge, then we can tolerate the sufferings. We can understand why they're happening. So the purpose of life is to acquire knowledge. And the Shastra says that one should one's knowledge should be aimed at understanding the difference between spirit and matter. That is the main, one of the main premises of Kapila's instructions. The mark of a yogi is one who has become detached from matter. And yoga, the word itself means to link up, to yoke. Right? So by understanding what our position is and linking up with the Supreme, the source of all that be. One can understand who they are, one can understand what their purpose is and who Krishna is too, ultimately. So I'd like to open up the floor and ask, uh, what are the different processes of acquiring knowledge? This is reminiscent of a class that, you know, the Kovita Prabhu gave. Very good. So, two processes, ascending and descending. Okay. Anybody else? Very good. So, Shastric authorities taking instruction from the bona fide spiritual master as a means of gaining knowledge. Okay. Please. Right. Right. So, stepping back, we come from a tradition where we understand the importance of acquiring knowledge from Shastra, uh, but in the broader sense, uh, the three different processes that are mentioned in these chapters, Kapila's instructions to his mother, we have karma, or karma yoga, jnana yoga, dhyana yoga, and bhakti yoga. So what is karma? Karma means acting in terms of one's psychophysical nature. Uh, the performance of one's prescribed duties in the Varnashram system. It becomes a yoga if one does one's duty uh, with detachment, without a sense of proprietorship, giving up the fruits of the action to the Supreme. That you have a right to perform your duty, but you, not, you do not have a right to the fruits of the action. So that's in a gist karma, karma yoga. Jnana yoga is when one becomes uh, a little bit more advanced. One, one may think that, you know, what is the use of doing work? I don't want to perform any work. I'd rather engage in empirical philosophical research or speculation. And that is aimed at determining the nature of spirit. So you can think, you know, analyze, you know, what is this? And then you, you know, neti neti, it is not this, it is not this, it is not this. And then thereby coming to the conclusion of what is spirit. Dhyana yoga is what the yogis engage in. 
they control their senses, they follow certain rules and regulations, they detach their senses from the sense objects, they concentrate. These are the different, the Eightfold Yogic System, the Ashtanga Yoga System, is aimed at controlling the senses, bringing the mind under control, and fixing the mind on the supreme within the heart, on the supersoul within. And finally, we come to Bhakti Yoga, which is the tradition that is so dear to everyone here. So Bhakti Yoga is devotional service to the Supreme as referenced in the scripture. So the word described in the scripture is Shastra Yonitvat. One has to acquire knowledge from scripture or from authority, such as the Guru, the Sadhu, and of course Shastra. So by performance of karma, if one has desires, they can perform karma in a fruitive way and become elevated to enjoy in the heavenly realm. By, for, by performance of jnana, the purpose is to understand the oneness of spirit, the Brahman, to merge into the Brahman. By performance of dhyana yoga or ashtanga yoga, one will be able to visualize, to see the Supreme as the Paramatma, the Super Soul within the heart. And by performance of Bhakti Yoga, one will be able to see the Supreme Lord face to face. That is what the Shastra says. Bhakti Yoga is like a river. That's how Srila Prabhupada is explaining it in the purport. Now, that river, if you think of the analogy, a river can have many feeder, small rivulets that come into it. But ultimately, the river, the dominant force, in this case, as being described in the analogy, is bhakti. So one may perform jnana, one may perform karma, one may perform dhyana or ashtanga yoga, but ultimately they have to come to the point of bhakti, because that is what Krishna is saying. Ultimately, it's coming to the point of surrender. So, in reference to this, there is uh, a verse from text 32 that describes many different processes So what I just described, philosophical research culminates in understanding the Supreme Personality of Godhead. After achieving this understanding, when one becomes free from material modes of nature, he attains the stage of devotional service. Either by devotional service directly or by philosophical research, one has to find the same destination, which is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So in the purport, it's described that bhakti is described in four different divisions. Right. Three in the modes of material nature and one in transcendence. And bhakti takes on a different character, a different flavor according to the nature of its ex executor. So if one is performing devotional service in ignorance, there is a different result. In passion, a different result. In goodness, a different result. And in transcendence, a different result. So I'd like to review, since this is a more of a summary verse, I'd like to review uh, this instruction from Kapila Dev, just for our own edification. So if you turn to chapter 29, which is explanation of devotional service, text 8. So I'll read the translation. Devotional service executed by a person who is envious, proud, violent, and angry, and who is a separatist, is considered to be in the mode of darkness. So this is in the mode of ignorance. 
So if one is envious, proud, violent, and angry, then the devotional service that that person performs takes on a certain character. And it's said in the purport that one should not necessarily associate with such a person uh, very closely. One may offer their respects from afar, but one should not take too close an association. But by the nature of doing devotional service, by doing bhakti, one will become purified and then will gradually be able to elevate himself to a higher platform. So the next verse is uh, text 9. The worship of deities in the temple by a separatist with a motive for material enjoyment, fame, and opulence is devotion in the mode of passion. So this, uh, this word separatist, so what, what does that mean? Please. So the word separatist, which was used in the previous verse too when describing devotional service in the mode of ignorance and also in the mode of passion, and we'll find later in the mode of goodness, this word separatist is used. And the Sanskrit for that is uh, pritag bhav. Bhava means feeling, pritag is separate. So one, who is, one whose intention is not necessarily in line with the supreme one who has a separate desire right, than pleasing the supreme wholesale. That is a separatist. So in the, in the sense of mode of passion, uh, you see that this person is actually lusting after material enjoyment, opulence. He wants something. That's why he's performing devotional service. There are four kinds of people that come to Krishna consciousness. right? Those who are distressed, who want relief from their suffering, those who want some economic gain, those who are inquisitive, and then those who are actually truly searching for the absolute. So the one who wants economic gain, he wants something. There's, that's the reason. And, and bhakti, it's pious to come to, to Krishna, even for such a reason, because ultimately Krishna will purify that person. Then we come to the next uh, text, text 10. When a devotee worships the Supreme Personality of Godhead and offers the results of his activities in order to free himself from the inebriates of fruitive activities, his devotion is in the mode of goodness. So even if a person is performing bhakti uh, and giving up the fruits of his labor, giving up the fruits of his activities, if he has the idea that uh, by giving up the fruits of act my activities, I'll be able to become free from the binding effect. Even that is considered to be uh, not transcendental devotional service. That's considered to be still tainted because there's a motivation for doing what you're doing. Devotional service is unmotivated and uninterrupted. Anyabhilashita shunyam. In goodness, one has a specific intention for doing their devotional service. They want to become freed from the reaction, even if it's good or bad. Then the next series of verses uh, from uh, 11 all the way to 20, Kapil Dev is describing transcendental devotional service. So just for edification, I'll read these so we can uh, imbibe the spirit of what is being said. The manifestation of unadulterated devotional service is exhibited when one's mind is at once attracted to hearing the transcendental name and qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is residing in everyone's heart. 
Just as the water of the Ganges flows naturally down towards the ocean, such devotional ecstasy, uninterrupted by any material condition, flows towards the Supreme Lord. So we can see one's mind is automatically attracted to the transcendental name and qualities of the Lord. And the analogy is given is like the Ganges flowing into the ocean, one is completely attracted to Krishna. A pure devotee does not accept any kind of liberation. Shalokya, meaning on, being on the same planet as the Lord. Uh, Sharshti, um, I think it's the same opulences of the Lord as the Lord. Uh, Samipya is uh, being on the same planet as the Lord. And uh, sarupya, meaning having the same form as the Lord, or ekatva, meaning to merge into the existence of the Lord, even though they are offered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Proximity, okay. Thank you. By attaining the highest platform of devotional service, as I have explained, one can overcome the influence of the three modes of material nature and be situated in the transcendental stage, as is the Lord. A devotee must execute his prescribed duties, which are glorious, without material profit. Without excessive violence, one should regularly perform one's devotional activities. The devotee should regularly see my statues in the temple, touch my lotus feet, and offer worshipable paraphernalia and prayer. He should see in the spirit of renunciation from the mode of goodness and see every living entity as spiritual. So it goes on. But this is, this is the differentiation between pure devotional service and devotional service in the material modes. And even to simply to exist in material existence, one needs to perform bhakti. It was said in a class several days ago that even if one desires to merge into the effulgence of the Brahman, one should perform bhakti. Right? So this is the power of bhakti, and this is what our aim is. So at this point, I'll take any questions, comments, or reflections. So one can see that a materialist, the objective is his own gratification. Right? He's looking how I can improve my own personal situation. How can I enjoy something? I am the Lord of all that I survey. Right? This is the basic psychological uh, process that is underpinning the materialist conception. Whereas a devotee is thinking, how can I uh, please Krishna? And by pleasing Krishna, I myself will become satisfied. And pleasing Krishna in the sense, I mean, if you are in a specific ashram or if you're in a specific situation, there's different responsibilities related to that, but the ultimate aim is simply to please Krishna, that one performs one's duties with the intention that Krishna is being pleased. So in both senses, time is valuable, right? For the materialist, he's thinking, I have limited time. I want to do so much in order to gain something for myself, for the, um, the pleasure of my senses. The devotee is thinking, I have limited time. I have to do so much for Krishna or in the process of serving Krishna. So ultimately, it comes down to one's uh, intention. Superficially, they may look the same, 
but in internally, what is the motivation, what is the intention that is driving the action? Does that answer your question? So uh, while you were asking this question, Mata, I was thinking that uh, there are certain guidelines for association. Uh, when one is um, associating with somebody who is in an uh, inferior position, one is very compassionate to them. One may give their association to that person so that they may benefit. When one is uh, dealing with somebody who is on an equal status, one may become friendly with that person. And when one comes across somebody in a superior position, one takes instruction from them. So by following the uh, principles of Vaishnava Sadachar, you know, one can, at least I feel that one can improve the point is not to become despondent and, and uh, abandon the process because whatever position one may be in, whatever condition one may be in, devotional service is all purifying and one can become elevated. So it's a combination of uh, knowing how to associate with uh, different people and also having faith in the process. Thank you. Yes? In the material world, we know time is present, right? Something is born, it stays for some time, or it's created, it stays for some time, and then it dwindles or it vanishes into an oblivion, right? So that is how time is conspicuous by its presence. We all grow old, right? Um, and then ultimately, we all have to die. Right? In the spiritual world, time is conspicuous by its absence. Things don't decay. Things don't grow old. Krishna has a form that is uh, one of blooming youth. He always stays the same age. So just, I mean, wrap your head around that one, right? Even his parts and parcels, every conscious living entity, it doesn't age, it doesn't decay. So in that sense, it's conspicuous by its absence. Does that clarify? Any other questions? So I was thinking of that chapter where you read the Krishna service of subduers on the time. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking the word subduer is interesting. The definition that she looked up was to 
That's right. And this is the position of the materialist. You know, he is, all his life, he is trying to uh, satisfy his family, right? to provide for his family. Not that it's wrong to provide for a family, but to do it to the neglect of one's actual uh, position, you know, knowledge, acquiring knowledge of one's position is condemned in the Shastra. So for that person, you know, uh, Krishna comes as cruel death. That death takes away everything. Mrityu sarva haras chaham. That's the Sanskrit. Mrityu, death, sarva, all, haras chaham takes away. Any other questions or concerns? Or comments, please. Mother Margaret? Can I ask for a quick question with Prabhupada in Bhagavatam 3.11.38? This is a chapter of time, calculation of time from God. This is, um, I think, maybe his most concise explanation of the nature of spiritual time versus material time. Um, so I won't read all of it, but he, he says, Eternal time is never lost along with the life of Prabhupada. This he speaks to the purport of Prabhupada. So, uh, a very dear friend and mentor of mine, Narantar Prabhu, 
He's written a song about this. So if you'll indulge me. <laughs> I don't have a guitar. And I don't sing as well as he does. <laughs> but um, I think uh, it encapsulates these points about time and about devotional service, meaning surrender to Krishna. So I'll read. Should I sing it or should I just read? I should sing it. Okay. <laughs> so the name of the song is Someday Soon I'm Gonna Have to Die. Once I was young, but now I am old. My sinful reactions have come to take their toll. There's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. Someday soon, I'm gonna have to die. I have no regrets, I really can't complain. I've lived and I've loved through the pleasure and the pain. There's nothing you can do, there's no need to cry. Someday soon, you're gonna have to die. Now you can say that it won't happen to me, but we'll just have to wait around and see. For no one before you has ever lived to tell. Instead, they've all been dragged away to hell. It may be tomorrow, it might just be today. Don't be a fool, please heed what I say. Surrender to Krishna and don't live a lie, for someday soon we're gonna have to die. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> but I think the song says it well. <laughs> Hare Krishna.